Welcome to Lockhead on Marketing, where we're trying the world's first marketing pod storm. 30 days of strategies and ideas to help you create the future of your choosing. Hey ho, let's go. Thanks for pressing play. I sure I'm glad you're here and uh, we sure hope you've been enjoying the marketing pod storm. This is part two from our live Q&A session on our Facebook group and uh, Twitter and YouTube. Uh, which we've been doing every Friday during the pod storm. And uh, if you have further questions or you would like us to continue doing live Q&As, or frankly, you'd like us to stop doing live Q&As, send your questions and comments to blackhole at lockhead.com. That's blackhole, all one word, at L-O-C-H-H-E-A-D.com. And uh, on this uh, Q&A session, I'm joined by Jason DeFilippo, our legendary producer and co-host of the Grumpy Old Geeks podcast. And um, we answer a bunch of your questions. Uh, <laughs> I was supposed to write down which ones you asked, but I didn't. So um, uh, we're just going to get on with the uh, oddcast here. We're brought to you by my good friends at Oracle NetSuite. Check out netsuite.com slash different today. That's netsuite.com slash different for more information on the world's number one one cloud ERP system. And my friends at Splunk are the world leader in data to everything. Visit splunk.com slash D, the number two, the letter E. Now, your questions and our slightly sober answers. All right, moving on. Mustafa writes in, I'm a CMO and I'm wondering about your thoughts on the importance of internal communications and what function inside the company should own it. So uh, I have maybe for some people a bit of a provocative opinion about this. I think the role of marketing internally is at least equal to the value externally and in some ways more because um, when people pick up a newspaper or read something online and they hear, for example, your CEO talking about the company's mission or talking about a new product that you just launched and how it's going to transform the category and make a difference to a giant number of people, uh, things along those lines. One of my favorite examples, we all, everybody loves to tell Steve Jobs stories. You know, when he came back to Apple, um, he did a bunch of external uh, interviews. And one of the things that he said in those interviews was um, he was so surprised at how many, quote, insanely great products, end quote, there were in the company's pipeline when he joined the company. Well, there were no fucking insanely great products in the pipeline when he joined the company. So when, when, when they see that, you know, the engineers look at it in Time Magazine or Wall Street Journal and they go, well, fuck, we better get busy building some insanely great products. <laughs> yeah, we got to make some shit. <laughs> right? And so there is an element of self-fulfilling prophecy to this thing. And then I also think legendary companies, you know, as Eddie Yoon describes all the time, there's a distinction between missionaries and mercenaries. Legendary companies are on a mission. And so internal comms, you know, keeps people stoked about the mission, focused on the mission, uh, up to date on changes in the mission, things along those lines. And so uh, when I was a CMO, I owned internal communications and partnered deeply with uh, HR. Um, and it, we were connected at the hip. Um, but 
all of the communications that came out that weren't sort of just uh, housekeeping related as it relates to HR stuff or IT stuff or things along those lines. But if they were any kind of a communication, then it came through marketing. And we had a group focused on internal marketing that sat next to HR and, and IT and, and finance and things along those lines and worked with them to make sure that they we were communicating effectively to our people. And I, I think it's really important that marketing has internal and external comms. Annika writes in, I'm the VP of corporate comms at a public software company, and I'm wondering how you think about how PR and IR should work together. And what's IR? IR is investor relations. Ah, yeah, I learned something new today. Today must be comms day, communication day. So I love this question. And I think this is one candidly uh, that a lot of CMOs get wrong. I think IR and PR, investor relations and public relations, need to be deeply, deeply, deeply connected. And therefore, marketing and finance need to be deeply connected. Now, it would be highly unusual to have investor relations in marketing. It's uh, almost always in finance. And I think that's fine. Like most of these things, you know, reporting matters to some degree. But the reality is, if you're a great company, reporting lines should not matter. So in the case of IR, we always built relationships with, um, you know, I always tried to build a deep personal relationship with the CFO. If you're, if you're a CMO and, 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 and you're not in lockstep with your CFO, um, bad, bad, bad. And that's probably true of everybody in the C-suite. You know, the CFO job runs the budgeting, you know, obviously a high, highly strategic position. And the best CFOs I know are way more than a accountants. They're, they're str- strategic minds. They're great at, at mergers and acquisitions and operations. And so uh, a lot of companies, if they're smart, have a very big, big, big time CFO. And, and I think that's, you know, particularly if you're planning on going public. So anyway, CMO, CFO, very close in lockstep. Um, CMO with PR and IR and, and CFO should work together, for example, on the quarterly earnings announcements on the script that the CEO and CFO are going to write, on the Q&A prep um, that happens ahead of the calls, um, on analyst days when we do Wall Street analyst days, um, any of those key strategic, anytime we're we're communicating strategically with Wall Street, maybe you're going to go on a a tour and visit with everybody, or certainly if you're planning an IPO roadshow, or you're going to do a secondary offering. In all of these situations, Marketing and finance tied together at the hip. Finance probably owns investor relations. That's the right answer. Working very closely with marketing. And we do all this stuff in lockstep. And oh, by the way, if and when we got bad shit to deal with, even more important. And, and, and in this case, if there's bad stuff to work with uh, or to deal with, marketing, f- finance, and HR need to be very, 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 very tight together, working as one unit. And so I think marketing has a gigantic role to play in investor relations. It, it, there should be somebody in marketing that is, uh, depending on the size of company, dedicated or close to dedicated to it. And if it's a bigger company, it may be a few people working in concert with the CFO's team. All right. Next up, we have Faith. You've said it's a mistake for a new CMO to change the logo. Under what circumstances should we change the logo? But ugly logo, maybe? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, that, that's always a compelling one. And uh, unless it's so but ugly and so bad that like the, the company is screaming for it, as a new CMO, changing the logo, I think, is a strategic mistake, particularly in your first six months and ideally in your first year. Because 
it sends a message to a lot of people that you're sort of tinkering with the creative as opposed to getting deep in the business. And so I think you want to be very thoughtful about um, what message you send, particularly to your peer set in the executive suite and to your CEO and board. Um, you don't want to be seen as the moron who's like tinkering with the colors when there's some big problem that needs to get addressed. Like, you know, the Salesforce has no leads or the website doesn't work or, you know, we have a giant category problem and we got to have a new strategy ASAP or whatever else. So make sure we're getting on with the business at hand. You want to be seen as somebody who's deep in the business, making a giant difference, particularly for the field sales organization and the, and the, the product and engineering organization get deep in those parts of the company. When should you change the logo? I think... The logo should be changed when there's a meaningful business transformation going on of some kind. So if you're deeply expanding your product line, or maybe you just did an acquisition, or you did a new category design, and there's a new point of view, and maybe a new tagline, and, and you know, the languaging that you're using is... is so I think what you want to do when you're, when you're doing a logo change, what you're really declaring is a before and an after. You're saying that so there's something that's happened that uh, is a demarcation point for the company, the brand, and ideally the category. And so now, look, it might be that you have a butt ugly logo and, you know, I, I, did we talk about this? I'm having a bit of a deja vu. We talked, we uh, talked about the logo stuff last, last episode on the Q&A, but okay. uh, and, and you said that, you know, new CMOs should not touch the logo. I think that's how this ties in. This, this came about. Yeah. So, you know, and I, and now I'm remembering, I think what we talked about last time is, you know, if you're a startup and you're a year old and, you know, you just raised a, a series A or a real seed round and you got a little bit of money and now your product's coming out of beta or whatever it is, you know, you're, you're, you've grown up a little and you have that $2 fiber logo we talked about, then it might make sense as something to do early on. But in general, I think, when you want to do it is, is you want to make sure you're focused on stuff that really is going to make a difference to the business as quickly as possible, uh, particularly if you're new. And, um, and, and then you want to change the logo. There's some other commensurate change going on and you want to sort of declare a before and an after. And, uh, and, and in that way, the change of the logo is serving a bigger purpose. You're not just like changing the drapes. I think about that when you're, when you're talking about SaaS companies, you know, software as a service companies, or now they call them just cloud companies. Like at Technorati, we did a major logo redesign uh, around our launch from 1.0 to 2.0, and we spent several months on it. And, you know, and when the new version came out, we get Technorati 2.0. Here's a new logo to come with Technorati 2.0. And then I think about companies like Slack that did a major logo redesign recently that I don't know if you have seen the Slack logo recently from the previous logo. The, the, the old logo was like a hashtag with some plaid and stuff. And now it's a pinwheel of penises that's really hard to unsee oh once you've seen it. But oh no, and there was but there was no real point release to the software when they did that, and I thought it was a really bad idea to change that logo and their branding at that point when there was really nothing to do. That you know that that was a big jump in the oh, software. Yeah, now I see it. Yeah, it's a pinwheel. The of other thing that's terrible about the Slack <laughs> logo is it looks like a billion other logos. Like the it's, it's a Google it's a Google color, you know. But I mean, you've seen that kaleidoscope of penises. I mean, it's. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> Sounds like my show. What are we talking about? Um, oh God! No, it, 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 it differentiates itself in no way from any other random like Google product logo, which it, or any other business product logo. The old logo was fantastic, and they changed it for no reason, as far as at least on the outside that we could see. It wasn't a major point release in the software. The software pretty much stayed the same because they work on an iterative design philosophy where they're always iterating on the software. So there's no real big giant leaps as they go. Mm -hmm. And I think that is one of the most unsuccessful logo redesigns recently. Well, and the other thing about it, um, this is sort of classic useless corporate branding. Uh, I got taught this by my buddy, um, John Muhlenberg, who's a legendary corporate designer. Uh, he was on the podcast quite a while ago. Um, which is anything you add to the words needs to multiply the value of the words in some mm. way, shape, or form. So that's sort of the um, the John Bielenberg teaching. And then the other uh, huge corporate design influence in my life is Peggy Burke from 1185 Design. And she said, never invest in an image you cannot own. And so if you take those two ideas together and you say, okay, well, if you're going to add imagery or or colors, or blobs, or whatever you're going to add that's more than words, then you look at the Slack logo. I mean, what does that make you think if you sort of use those two lenses from a geek's perspective? Like, there's there's nothing there that's going to enhance their brand in any way, shape, or form. Right. And so so they have an image they can't own that's right. pretty forgettable, and it doesn't multiply the value of the word. But other than that, they did it great. <laughs> I wonder if they recently got a new CMO. Um, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> now, uh, by the way, not to be overly shitty, uh, Stuart Butterfield and the team at Slack have, have done an absolutely legendary job in the social business space, the social enterprise space. So uh, hats off to you. Way to go. <laughs> yeah, I've known Stuart since before uh, he sold Flickr to Yahoo. So from way back in the day, Stuart's a great guy. We had a falling out in a bit because Little things that always happen in San Francisco, but I still think he's a fantastic guy and an incredibly smart businessman. And I love the team over there. Cal Henderson is one of the most awesome CTOs in the world. And that's why I just like, I trust those guys with my data any, any day of the week. Those guys are, they're just good. And, and here's the deal. I want them to go design another video game because every time they design a video game, we get a great product out of it. <laughs> Because first first game they designed, we got Flickr. Second video game they designed, we got Slack. So I'm like, guys, get on it. Give me another video game. Tell me what we're going to have next. <laughs> I love it. And I love that a bunch of, you know, really, I, I think it's very telling that a bunch of video game uh, folks created, uh, you know, a monster new enterprise app uh, mm-hmm. and a whole new category. And I, I think they owe some of us uh, early pioneers in the enterprise, social enterprise, business, social space, some money, but that's a different conversation. I'd take it. I'd take it. Trust me. <laughs> At least a tip for the hat, please. Free a bottle of whiskey might be nice. <laughs> exactly. A stripogram, something. All right. Our final question of the day comes from Brent. We are moving our user conference online like everyone else. How do we create an experience that our customers will love and that is different when every event is going digital? That is a legendary question and a super tough one to answer. Um, here's the first thing I would say to you. Um, try to do as many small online events as possible as betas as you, you get closer to your 
event because you're going to learn a lot as you do them. That's the first thing. The second thing is um, the guy that I know that is the greatest in the world at this uh, is a guy named John Berghoff from Exchange. His company, Exchange, is unbelievable. And they do this in the physical world. They create these high-powered sort of, uh, I don't know what the fuck to call them, learning experiences um, for corporations where they deal with a tough topic and they get people together and they ask powerful questions and they create a powerful environment for dialogue. And they just, you know, so they're the sort of greatest workshop construction company I've ever seen. They, they yield a result at the end of a workshop or a seminar like nobody else. Um, and so they, once C-19 happened, you know, their business, like anybody else who didn't need anything in the event or where, space or anything that required anybody to get together, got smashed. And so what they did, they, they've recreated all of it using it te on technologies with like Zoom and the like. And they have this whole thing about where they start something off, they ask a question, they ask you to get working on that question, they present some stuff. So anyway, John and the folks at Exchange use the fact that you can bring gr big groups of people together, break them into groups, get them to go work on things. So he, the bottom line is he has been able to create a highly engaged digital group uh, learning experience by bringing people together, sharing some stuff, breaking them apart, having them do some shit, come back, present what they do, interact. Da, 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 da. And so I guess all I'm saying to you is it's clear that there are multiple interaction or, or, or engagement ways that really work in this world. These Q and a type things that we we're doing here, uh, you know, there's lots of them. And so I would, I would get, experimenting ASAP on trying to do deeply engaged stuff with people as opposed to just do what most people do, which is essentially it's one long fucking webinar, which is fine. There might be part of your user conference or customer conference that needs to be webinar like there. there if, if your CEO or your head of engineering or whoever it is and some of your customers, you know, there are presentations you'll want to give by all means. And those are more webinar-y in their, in their feel or format. But I would, I would tilt you towards the John Berghoff exchange model of connecting people and, and getting them together and breaking them apart and, and making it much more highly collaborative and engaged. Because I think I've done a couple of these with them since C19 hit on marketing, and they've been insanely well-received. And I think in, in some ways, as, as crazy as it sounds, they can actually be more effective from a learning perspective than some of the shit that you can do in person. It's certainly a unique experience when you get it right. All right. We would like to thank our good friends at NetSuite, the number one cloud business system. Uh, they have done an amazing job putting together a new guide called the seven actions businesses need to take now based on feedback from many uh, high growth oriented entrepreneurs on what they're doing to up this downturn. Visit NetSuite.com slash different to receive your free guide, the seven actions businesses need to take now and to schedule your free product tour of NetSuite. And uh, learn how to turn data into doing with my friends at Splunk at S-P-L-U-N-K dot com slash D to E as in data to everything. Bring uh, data to every question, every decision and every action at Splunk dot com slash D to E. Now, your website is your face to the world and often the first thing that people experience 
uh, when they check you out. And that's why you need a legendary website. And that's where my friends at Atranet come in. Visit A-T-R-E dot N-E-T. If you're in B2B in Silicon Valley, Atranet. And my friends at Spiro are the leaders in uh, proactive relationship management. Uh, using the power of machine learning and AI to help you and your salespeople close more business. Visit spiro.ai today. And my second book, it's called Niche Down, How to Become Legendary by Being Different. Uh, Why not check it out? And uh, a marketing podcast I love with my buddy John Wall. Check out Marketing Over Coffee, wherever you get legendary podcasts. All right, this podcast is the sole property of the Lockhead Oddcast Network. And uh, if you like it enough to listen to it, why not share it with your whole marketing team? Today's information is provided to you solely for informational purposes. Please do consult your spiritual advisor, uh, your doctor, and your mechanic before acting on any of today's information. We're produced and edited by Jason DeFilippo. Uh, legendary technology, execution, production, lockhead.com, and all sorts of other good shit around here by Jamie J and Sarah Knox. Show notes by Diane Gervasio. Candy Dandy keeps all the trains running on time. Send your questions or comments to blackhole at lockhead.com. And the thought I'll leave you with today comes from the Ramones who said, I don't want to grow up. Stay healthy. Be good to each other. Stay legendary. And until we're together again, follow your different. 